Welcome to the Focus Forward Business Podcast from SturdyMcKee.com. Hey, welcome. I am so glad to have Dan Rutenberg, co-founder and CEO of Spear Physical Therapy in New York City here with us on the Focus Forward Business Podcast. I'm Sturdy McKee, business coach and advisor and your host for the Focus Forward Business Podcast. Thanks so much for being here, Dan. It's great to be here with you, Sturdy. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited. Um, So tell the listeners more about who you are and what you do. Uh, yeah, well, let's see. I have lots of definitions depending on who the audience is. Uh, I guess for this audience, uh, I'm the CEO and co-founder of Spear Physical Therapy. Um, to my, uh, my three kids, I am a dad or sometimes just that guy that is a uh, pain in my butt reminding me to do homework and things like that. Um, sure. To another uh, population, I'm coach. Um, and, uh, you know, little league coach uh, for many, many years and uh, support youth sports. And, um, you know, uh, let's see, husband, son, I'm not sure where else it ends, but uh, <laughs> I think we covered all of who I am. <laughs> nice, nice. And how long have you, um, You, I think you've been uh, CEO of Sphere for what, 20 years? Uh, that right? 20, it's going to be 22 years 22. this January. Yes. All right. Well, congratulations. That's awesome. Um, so how did you get started in this business? Yeah, I got started. I was a PT, uh, was working at hospital for special surgery. Um, I was actually playing baseball in Europe and there was, they did a little write-up um, in like the PT bulletin. And I get a phone call from someone that's putting a baseball team together. He's a PT. Uh-huh. Uh, his name is Perry Bonomo. And he's a PT in New Jersey. He says, Hey, I just saw, I read that article. Do you want to play, play ball with, with me and my team? So I say, okay, sure. And he was a, uh, a practice owner. He had a private practice. And so a couple of times, you know, he said, Hey, why don't you come over? I'll show you what I do. And uh, and so I saw how, what private practice was like just because he introduced me to it. Um, I was, like I said, in the hospital system and actually getting slightly jaded by where physical therapy in the late 90s stood in that hierarchical um, place. And so sometimes it felt like surgeons were here, nurses were here, and physical therapists were down here. And uh, I don't think that's the case anymore, but it just felt like that to me. And, and the truth of the matter is there was a part of me that felt like, you know, did I miss the boat? Was I, was I so focused on being a uh, professional baseball player that I did not think through, like, why didn't I become the surgeon? And, um, you know, I'm just being real with you. That was really how I was thinking. And I, and I thought I made a mistake. Um, and, and it wasn't until I learned um, what private practice was that I fell in love with the profession and what I do. So I did open up a private practice like pretty soon after that. And uh, I really, you know, listen, anyone in private practice knows how many hats you wear, especially at the beginning, you know, what you're, you have to learn how to, how to uh, check a patient in, send claims out to insurance companies, uh, schedule your patients, get on insurance lists, provider lists, uh, negotiate with landlords, understand in 1999, uh, create a website, um, and, 
And then and that's like outside of, of treatment. Loved it and loved all the hats I was wearing um, and was, uh, was just, you know, really, really all in. So that's kind of how I got started. I don't know that I've actually told that story ever before, but that's the, that's really how it got started. I was like, well, if this guy Perry uh, can do it, I can, why can't I do it? And that's how it began. <laughs> no, that's cool. And I think that everybody who's ever bootstrapped or begun a company by themselves or with just a couple of people and understands that or can relate to that because yeah, you are chief cook and bottle washer, you know, for everything initially. Um, cool. So, do you wish you had done anything differently in the beginning with the startup? Um, you know, listen, at that time, I said to my friend from PT school, Dave Endress, hey, you know, you have any interest in starting a practice? And then we did. Would I do anything differently? I, 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 in general, I, I like to answer that no. I wouldn't do anything differently in, at that time because I feel like every lesson you learned was a lesson that you needed to learn. Um, I certainly, if I knew some things in advance, maybe I would have, it would have been an easier road. Um, <laughs> sure. However, that's a running theme. <laughs> yeah. So I could have made my life easier. Um, I honestly could have grown earlier than I really did. I felt like I needed to have so many things in place before growing. And, um, you know, it's, it's almost like, uh, uh, a similar choice to have a baby, you know, like you're never ready for that kind of stuff. Um, and, and there's no perfect time for anything. So I think it's like, you know, uh, take the plunge, whether it's, uh, um, you know, in any of these arenas, whether it's, um, you know, when, when you're conflicted, if you feel like 80% there, go for it. And, uh, so I probably would have grown a little earlier and not waited, um, to open up the second clinic or third clinic, um, I think that, uh, but it's not so much, especially at the beginning, I don't think there is something that I would have done differently then. I think when it got to the middle years, uh, I could probably uh, easily point to a concept that I really felt starting in 2016, which was prepare for success. Like, you know, you will be successful. You put in time, energy, and effort, and you will be successful. Don't be caught flat-footed when you start to grow and when your plans work out and then realize, holy cow, I am hustling uh, to the end of my capacity uh -huh. and really wish I had other people um, or more than just one or two people really helping uh, steer this boat. And, um, you know, so if I, if I fast forward to 2016, that would be my advice to myself, prepare for success, you know, and there's, I could, I could expand on that, but I'll, I'll pause there. No, no, I, that would, I would love to learn more about that. What, a, um, so what, what happened that you feel like you could have better prepared for, or you weren't really quite ready for? Or... Well, it's kind of funny, right? Because it, it came 2016 was a year of, uh, of growth for us. I want to say we had eight practices and um, that next year we grew another four. So um, 2016 was a special year also. We got acknowledged for the um, Jane Snyder Practice of the Year Award at PPS. And, right, and right. I, mentioned, I mentioned this not to be boastful in any way, 
but to actually say, as I stood on that stage, uh, the pinnacle of a career, if you will, I was drowning. I was absolutely <laughs> drowning. And um, what was happening around me, um, I mean, I, I uh, did not sleep through the night for probably about two years starting then. Uh, my daughter was born, uh, my, who's our third. She's four. She's almost five now. Um, and um, she wasn't sleeping through the night. She had some diff that she got from her cousin. So she was having stomach problems. She's good now, but she was on antibiotics for the first like year and a half of her life. And um, so, she, so it was like this crazy perfect storm of no sleep, family obligations. The practice was growing and thriving. But what I didn't do, and, and this is where I would talk to myself, would was preparing for success where um, it was everything according to plan was happening. But we were growing, and I hit a I hit a limit of how much I could hustle. Um, sure. Ryan Kitson, our COO, is fantastic, um, but there's you need more help than that, and uh, and so I remember picking up the phone, calling this um, consultant that I had heard uh, on the Vistage circuit. Uh -huh. And uh, and I said, you know, hey, Bob, this is Dan. Uh, I, I want to scale thoughtfully. I want to continue to grow my business, but without the personal toll it's taking. And right. so we went to our FIDI office uh, right near the stock exchange. We went to a conference room. And I remember there was a whiteboard there. And, um, and he said, all right, what are the things you're doing? You know, you're obviously doing too much. What are the things you're doing? And we put up there all these different tasks. And he said, right. you know, this, this, and this, um, start to hire or promote, start to promote your um, best clinical directors to some regional directors. You need middle management. We had no middle management. Well, um, 12 clinics, yeah. Right. So, uh, and, and we quickly went to 15. So we had, we started promoting regional directors. Um, I hired a CFO at the time. Um, I hired an executive assistant. I hired a director of marketing and communications. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, you could see these buckets had to be filled. And uh, before they were filled, it was just a lot of me, um, Ryan, and that just gets, it, it just, it's, uh, we were stress tested and, and pressure tested. So, you know, I, I, if there was a, if there's a lesson to everyone listening out there, um, prepare for success. And what's that next step going to look like for you? Because there is only so much, especially as a founder of a company where you're used to doing everything. Remember, I told you how I started absolutely right. doing everything. So I was sort of used to that. I was used to that life and used to that philosophy. Um, and mm -hmm. that philosophy will only take you so far. You have there. You have to evolve from it, and that that's that, a, had, that had growing pains attached to it. And that's a great lesson, and that, that's an important lesson. Um, I mean, I see it all the time, and it doesn't it doesn't always happen at the same stage that you encountered it, right? It can sometimes it can happen for people at ten employees or at twenty or you know the second location or whatever. Um, but where you end up finding out you you're doing too much stuff, 
and you're overwhelmed. I mean, I can totally relate to that. And I was chuckling about you being on stage and all the success and accolades and feeling completely overwhelmed at the same time, because I can totally relate. And I think a lot of the people listening can, um, you know, and that's actually, you've started into this, but this leads me into the next question. So you're a father of three, you're coaching baseball, you're you know running 20 locations in and around New York City. Um, what advice would you give a business owner at any stage or size with who is struggling with that not having enough time? Yeah, I mean, time is like the one, um, the one thing that's not renewable, right? Uh, <laughs> right. You know, I think it was Jocko Willick, who was the, uh, the, the Navy SEAL, who is doing a podcast on discipline and how discipline equals freedom. So um, to me, it means the more regimented you can be in terms of your own time, the more of it you'll have. And you can interpret that in many different ways. Um, uh -huh. But I think it's also prioritization, right? Like I, I think what I, what I sometimes fell into, which I don't recommend, but I would, I would sacrifice myself and my own time for everybody else and everything else that I wanted to accomplish. So during baseball season, I was coaching both my kids' teams as the manager of these teams. Uh -huh. uh, and uh, like, I'll never trade that for anything. I knew it was sort of like temporary in a sense, because my kids won't be young, young forever. Um, but I took it really seriously. We won the Little League Championship, which is like as, as exciting for me as uh, I think <laughs> any of the kids uh, <laughs> at it. And, um, what happened is that I would again, lose the time for myself. So in the springtime, like, I don't think I sat on a couch. I don't think I watched a, I didn't watch a TV show. I did. And, and this was also in that same time period. So I did learn from it, you know, and what did I start to do? I actually, I started to meditate. I started to try to like get better sleep and, um, and create space in my day. I used to go from meeting to meeting to meeting and, you know, like these things are effective. You can get a lot of things done. I would get so much done in a day, but there does have to be a balance eventually. So I think right now I'm better at this. Uh, I'm more balanced. I'm able to, I'm able to handle more, but it's also because I have, I have a great team that's um, working with me. And so surrounding yourself with great talent, that's how you get time back. Yeah, and I would I would suggest for those who don't have the resources to start hiring people to do that. What Dan's talking about here is prioritization and then delegation, like deciding what needs to get done and then delegating the things that you anything that you don't have to do that somebody else can do. If you're struggling with time, try to get it off your plate. You know, let let them do it. Uh, I love the analogies, too. And we can think about like your Little League coaching. We find ourselves in our businesses running around the field trying to do everything when our role really should be coach. Right. We're empowering well the players. Said. It's very well said. Yeah. It's almost like sit with that for a minute and you should be working on the areas of greatest impact in your business. I think if, if everybody was able to work at the highest level of their abilities, because there are some things in your practice only you can do, right? What are those, what are those top three things that only you can do? And don't get sidelined by these other things that you can delegate and they can be done. That's, that is such an important concept. And if you wanna 
grow, make your life easier, or, or any of those, any of the above. It is so important to sort of, you're working at the top of your game, you're working where you are most effective, and you're working where your talents are most easily applied and other people can't do it. And that's, to me, that was the reason I actually stopped having a caseload, a regular caseload, right? You have to be able to work in your business rather than you have to be able to work on your business rather than in your business, right? Um, and you know, for a long time, I was doing both. Uh, you, but there, there's a limit to that, and um, depends on your goal. You know, some people just may want to be the best PT they can be, and that's uh, that is a worthy goal. Uh, but if the, if it is if it is not just that, if it is about the business side of things and growing it, then you just have to make sure that you are actually working on the business and not just in it. Well, I think part of that too turns into a transformation in how you see yourself, you know, the best player on the field versus the coach or manager of the team. And not that you can't do both, but you need to be deliberate about when you're doing what. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. Right. Because, you know, even um, Derek Jeter couldn't be the general manager until after he retired. Right, not at the same. Right, you couldn't play on the field and be GM at the same time. That's a great, great point, great lesson. Um, so, you know, I once heard someone say that business is a problem. The only question is, what problem will you be facing today? You know, we wake up in the morning or on Mondays, and something will go wrong. You know, maybe it's something minor, maybe it's tiny, maybe it's huge. We don't know. But what challenges are you currently facing in your business, and how are you working to overcome them? You know, I think this year was the greatest challenge of the last 22 for me and probably the last 100 for uh, the world, um, or at least up there in the top three years. We had a myriad of challenges, a myriad. And um, you know, what do you do when you, your company goes down to 10% of its volume? Um, and how do, you keep people, how do you keep people engaged, employed, part of the team. I think my thought process changed a lot this year. Whereas um, I think I always thought in terms of um, business incentives and, uh, and this year I learned that it's okay to put all that aside and that sometimes it's, you have to be a safety net for people. And, um, and I embraced that other aspect um, where people needed uh, to really uh, know what was going on. You know, at a time when politics are as polarizing as ever, I think business leaders have a new role and responsibility for sense-making of what's going on. Um, we had opened up communication tremendously. We were, having, um, we were having town halls every single week for, since, uh, when, since COVID began. And you know, telling people what was going on, what to expect, uh, and and giving people the news, even when the news wasn't great, uh, even when the news was bad, uh, in a way that was that that was open and honest, and so that when it did start to turn, people trusted what we were saying, and uh, and it has turned. New York is still struggling, uh, where I know other. In, other parts of the country have bounced back um, more rapidly than New York yeah. City, simply because people haven't come back to uh, to work. Midtown is uh, is quiet. 
the financial right. district is quiet. And um, you know, we, my my wife and daughter were driving downtown at the financial district here in San Francisco, and two guys were playing frisbee in the middle of the street, <laughs> which is like, how yeah, how does that work, right? Yeah, very different than than uh, what you'd expect to see down there, right? Oh boy, yeah, yeah, different than normal for sure. Mm-hmm. Cool. So, what's your proudest moment in business? I'd say my proudest moment comes this year again, where we had so many obstacles. And I'm sure that I know people can relate to this because everybody had their own obstacles this year. And, um, you know, we found a way to keep every single therapist uh, employed. We, uh, We didn't furlough a single therapist. We were able to navigate the PPP loan um, and uh, keep people on payroll. Um, had to make some difficult choices, you know, when it came to PT techs. Uh, but what we did was we really were able to preserve the core of the business. And uh, and as and then and then of course uh, we we uh, experienced uh, together some of the civil rights atrocities that were happening and wanted our team to know that we were uh, behind them. And so, you know, we went from COVID to civil rights um, and uh, we had a whole town hall on race, you know, and I never felt like I was qualified to lead a town hall on race, but I did. And, um, uh, and it wasn't easy. Uh, and I got a lot of, I got, I mean, it was, it went great. I think people really did feel connected to each other. Um, we were very, uh, very vocal about what is, uh, how people should feel uh, at, at Spear and um, Black Lives Matter. Uh, it doesn't matter the color of your skin, your religion, who you pray to or who you love. Everybody is welcome here. And that was important, but I, I never felt before like I would have to make a statement like that and make a public statement, but it really was demanded of me. And uh, and I think that everybody felt closer as a result of that, you know, and I got numerous emails and messages, you know, uh, just appreciating the approach. And, um, and so then uh, shortly after that, we had the um the one year anniversary of one of our regional directors jimmy oleos who had passed away um and uh and so the the company was in in a, a bit of a state of of mourning for jimmy sure and um and then we uh you know uh, we had jimmy's dad had a town hall to talk about him uh so there was it was a, a year a six month period of a lot back to back a lot of emotions that people were feeling. And I think people felt uh, more connected to each other than ever and, and a tighter sense of, uh, of commitment to each other um, as a team. Uh, and, and then just last week, we were told by uh, WebPT that we got the, the Practice of the Year Award from Ascend. And it was the culmination to me of the most challenging year. It meant so much that in this year that was so difficult for everybody, um, so difficult for our team to be acknowledged for how we handled it was so, uh, it was my, it was my proudest moment. That's uh, awesome. In those 22 years. So it's right now. 
is the proudest moment I've ever had. Um, our team really has what we call spirit. We had spirit week, which culminated in this award. Uh, and, um, you know, in times that are tough, I think, you, you know, character is revealed. Character is revealed. And oh boy, yes. I could be more proud of our team. That's how I feel. No, that's great. I want to commend you not just for the declaration, but when times are tough, really sticking with your core values, because that's a, that's a running theme, uh, something I emphasize. They're never more important than during times of stress, but that's also when they get jettisoned in a lot of cases. That, that is true. And, and you've seen it happen, you know, in certain yes. areas. It has happened. So you're right. Oh, yeah. And we see it in business. I got multiple stories there. So, you know, for folks listening, really think about that as well. Take a moment and, and reflect on that, because if you've got your core values articulated and your teams knows what they are and, you know, when things are going wrong, making your decisions based on that, you're going to look back and be much, much happier with those decisions down the road. So, um Maybe this is the same thing, but I wanted to ask you, what's the biggest thing that you've learned recently that you wish you had learned 10 years ago? You know, I had the, I'll call it the, the fortune of being asked to be on the COVID advisory task force for PPS uh, during the pandemic. And I have been so impressed with our profession, the leaders in our profession, to the we, we really have a special group. I want to say that there was probably um, maybe 18 or 19 of us on that task force and we met, we were meeting weekly, uh, bi-weekly, monthly. Now it's, you know, as time went on, we didn't have to meet that much, but there was so much sharing and so much brotherhood and sisterhood in, in, the, in the profession that we just wanted to help each other. And um, I never felt that before. I think the peer-to-peer the -peer, um, networks that I'm in, the willingness of everybody uh, to help each other out is, um, is phenomenal. And so uh, I think I just couldn't be more proud to be part of the profession and part of, um, of the team that, that is able to give back. And we did uh, multiple webinars just in terms of like how to, how to deal with um, with what was happening and to try to just help the association. So, um, you know, just, just how, how great that felt to, um, uh, to really be giving back and, and really be connecting with, um, with business leaders in the, in the world of physical therapy uh, throughout the country. And even internationally, we had someone that joined our peer to peer group from uh, Australia. So, um, you know, all of that was, I think, new. And, uh, or, or maybe I should say heightened. I'm sure it's happened before, but it was heightened. And we all really pulled together and helped each other. And um, I think that's phenomenal. Cool. Well, usually at this point, I ask you to share a favorite business book and I will, we'll come back to that. But first I want you to share a little bit more about your um, life in baseball. So I understand you've played professionally, you have worked with teams, uh, you have to give us more information. I know you were in Korea and Japan at one point. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, baseball was my love. Uh, I played college ball um, at Binghamton University and um, ended up graduating in 1994, the year of the strike. Uh, 
Um, the one year of the strike, not a good year to, to try to play pro baseball. Um, I did end up getting signed to the independent leagues um, by a team in the Frontier League. And, um, you know, but I, it, was, it was also difficult timing. You know, my dad had passed away my freshman year of college. So there was pressure on me from my family to say, hey, you got to start a career. You got to go. What do you want to do? And so I, di I didn't, I, I didn't, wasn't afforded that sort of like, you know, year or so to, to try and, and get picked up by, um, you know, an affiliated team. I was invited to spring training with the Mets in 95 after the strike and got very close actually. Um, but it, I was in PT school and my teachers gave me um, basically like a weekend to go um, <laughs> to do this. And I had friends that were, you know, doing this like all month. Full time, right. Full time. So, you know, one of my buddies got picked up by the Pirates. So I had one shot at it with the Mets. There were 178 outfielders. I got into the top three and then they selected one of the three to sign. Um, uh, so then I just, you know, I ended up just playing like independent ball. Um, I played in Europe um, for, for many years. I was on the Swiss uh, team, the Zurich Barracudas, they would fly me over every summer. And I played in, um, seven European cup tournaments. Then, That's um, awesome. yeah, then Israel had a professional league and I got signed. Uh -huh. I was the first player to sign there, um, and for the Netanya Tigers. And, um, and then my, a lot of my, you know, the next part of my story unfolds from the people I met in that league. Um, uh -huh where uh, baseball in Israel started to grow. And the World Baseball Classic, once baseball was eliminated from the Olympics, they brought it into the World Baseball Classic. Right. Israel was trying to get in, you had to qualify. I became the team physical therapist for uh, the World Baseball Classic with Team Israel from 2012 through now. And um, in 2012, we got eliminated at the uh, qualifiers. And then in 2017, we, um, we had to qualify in Brooklyn and we did. So um, we beat Great Britain and we beat another, oh gosh, I'm not even gonna try. Um, I forget, <laughs> um, we beat a number of teams. So we, we get into the World Baseball Classic. Um, and then once in the World Baseball Classic, which was in uh, Seoul, uh, Korea, you have, we, our goal was to win a game because if you win a game, you're automatically, you automatically get into next year's um, oh, okay. the, you know, four years, the next world baseball right. classic. Now ESPN called us the Jamaican bobsled team of baseball the <laughs> night before our first game. No. And we were playing Korea, which is the home, home team. team. Right. And um, we upset them and we beat them. And we, you know, it's like shocking that we win and we remain undefeated in Korea. We outright win the tournament in Korea and then get flown to Tokyo, Japan. And then we beat Cuba. So the whole, everything wow. was in disarray. No one could believe what was going on. We were a game away from Dodger Stadium and we lost to Japan. Uh, they went to Dodger Stadium. So anyway, that was, uh, that was really exciting to be a part of and be in the dugout for. And then yeah. last summer was the qualifiers for the Olympics. And again, we went through, we beat Russia, Italy, uh, the Czech Republic, Spain, um, all these teams that, especially Italy, that's a powerhouse. Somehow we, uh, and Germany, we beat. Uh, and so we actually made it to the Olympics. So this summer, I was supposed to be in Tokyo uh, before COVID hit. Uh, right. Next summer, they're saying it's going to happen 
even without you know crowds. So uh, I'll be the Olympic uh, PT for um, the baseball team. So it's uh, it's been a pretty uh, wild ride, I've got to say. That's awesome. Thanks so much for sharing that. I love it. Um, yeah, my 14-year-old is uh, all about baseball. I mean, and it has been for years. That's his ultimate goal. He's If he can't play professionally, he has a plan B and a plan C that all include baseball. So uh, that's, that's awesome. What position does he play? Uh, catcher. Catcher in middle infield. Oh, that's that's good. Yeah. You can always use catchers. It's yeah, like the yeah. Mike Piazza story. Tommy Lasorda <laughs> said, you know, draft this guy. They said, sorry, he can't, you know, uh, he, he can't play a position. And Tommy Lasorda said, well, what if he was a catcher? And they said, well, if he was a catcher, we'd draft him. He said, he's a catcher now. Draft him. And that's how he got drafted. So Really? Cool, cool. Um, so can you share a favorite business book, maybe one that you're reading now or something you've read in the past and why? you would recommend it, why you think it's important? Yeah, right now I'm reading Atomic Habits by James Clear. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, what I like about this book is he says you don't rise to the level of your goals, but you fall to the level of your habits. And so for everything you do, you know, what is what habits are going to make you successful? Mm -hmm. and And what habits that you may have are actually taking you farther away from success. And so he has, uh, there's, there's four aspects to a habit. There's the cue, there's the craving, there is the response, your response and the reward you get. So cue, mm -hmm. craving, response, reward. And with those four things, you can, number one, dismantle any habit that you don't wanna be doing, and you can create successful habits that you wanna do. And uh, so I really, I really like this book. It's helped me, uh, it's helped me immensely in, in thinking through some things and even just, you know, being 10% more effective or, you know, there it's, it's like these small incremental changes that we all could do that will make us more successful. Even if it's 1% a day, right? The, the compounding interest on getting, uh, doing something better 1% a day will, lead to tremendous gains at the end of a year. And, um, and so it's, uh, to me, it's just, I'm, I'm enjoying it. It's something that's, it's like a functional, functional book. Right, right, right. Where you can really uh, apply it. You know, the other book that I really, that I really like, um, that I read recently, actually Mike Horsfield recommended it, who's in my peer-to-peer huh? -peer group, was, um, Jerry Colonna's reboot. And, um, this, this, what's great about that book is, uh, it sort of forces you to journal. And, um, I swear I learned so much about myself from myself. <laughs> <Just by journaling. laughs> um, so that, that book, um, I read before COVID and, um, I swear to God, it set me up well for having to lead in uh, difficult times. And I think, uh, you know, it kind of goes back to every, every business leader right now that's uh, led through this pandemic is getting an absolute, uh, you know, uh, PhD in crisis management. Right. You know? Crash course. <laughs> Yeah, that we didn't know we signed up for, right? Exactly. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you for that. Um, any other business owners or CEOs that you would recommend or like to acknowledge as a leader and recommend to be on the podcast? Well, sure, I, right? well 
Um, I think, um, you know, in, in my peer, in my peer group, you got Mike Horsfield, Jeff Ostrowski. Um, these are incredible human beings. I just um, interviewed Mike last week. Oh, you did. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and Michelle, <laughs> Michelle Colley is also in our group and is, is thoroughly, yep. uh, insightful and entertaining at the same time. Um, you know, that, that group saw, got so many great people in it, um, that, uh, you know, from Chris Albany's to Wade Vandover, uh, Todd Gifford, uh, Patrick Graham. So, you know, I have the fortune of being in a, in a group that, that, you know, meets regularly with, uh, with these guys. And, uh, you know, so I think any of them would be fantastic people to talk to as, uh, as future guests. Love it. Thank you. Um, any other thoughts you want to leave us with before we wind up? You know, the, the, uh, first of all, thank you for what you do, uh, Sturdy. I, I love the, uh, the Focus Forward podcast and, you know, what you uh, represent. I think it's fantastic. Um, you know, I think this profession, as a result of what we all have all gone through, if there's one thing the pandemic has showed us, it's the importance of physical therapy in uh, the healthcare system. You know, we were deemed essential workers by the Department of Homeland Security, and that means something. Not everybody was. Not every healthcare provider was. Um, orthopedists, um, dentists, you know, there had to be emergency surgeries. There were a lot of orthopedic uh, conditions that were, that were uh, put on hold. And, sure. um, and so, you know, I think we need to just acknowledge uh, our roles in the healthcare uh, arena and how much of a great impact we can have. I think the future is extremely bright. And, um, you know, once we get to the other side of this thing, I think that, um, uh, you know, I'm just excited about where we go as a profession. And I think it's, it's really, uh, I'm excited to be part of it. Well, cool. Thanks. Thanks so much for doing this, Dan. I really enjoy the conversation. Um, hope listeners do too, but I, I got a lot out of it. So I, I really do appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, it's my pleasure, Sturdy. Thank you. All right. Thank you for listening.